we're going to do today is we're going to open the scriptures, Romans chapter 6. And uh, so I have in my hands the most powerful book in the world. The only book, yeah, it's God-breathed. It's God-breathed. And so 2 Timothy 3.16, a God-breathed book. So we're going to be opening the scriptures. And what we're going to do is we read the scripture. We're going through the book of Romans, arguably the most powerful book in the Bible. Uh, and so we're reading through Romans chapter 6. Uh, the first five verses, and then I'm going to do some more after that. And then I'm going to explain it to you, and then we'll apply it. So that's what we do. It's called exposition. So we're an old school Bible teaching church, and it never gets old because we hear God's voice through God's words. You know what I'm saying? Right on? You hear God? You want to hear God's voice, right? So, okay, let's stand to our feet if you're able. Uh, we're going to read Romans chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, and then we're going to read through verse 5. I'll read the first odd verses, and you read the even verses 2 and 4. I need you to read loud, okay? I want you to read real loud when you read. Verse 1 says this, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. You may be seated. Father, how great it is to fill the house of God with the Word of God, and we pray that we would be able to hear the voice of God this morning. Uh, we just declare, Lord, that you're above our circumstances, you're above everything, you're above every situation that we face, and we need you today. And Lord, we pray your blessing over this morning, those watching online, and Father, we just want to say we need you to, to touch us, to heal us, to cleanse us. Father, there are places in our lives where we need your grace, and perhaps our history or our habits or our relationships, we need the grace of God. We need an outpouring of your Spirit upon us, Lord, and we pray for all of us listening that we would hear your voice. Father, we thank you that we can be here this morning. We pray that uh, uh, we would sense uh, a real word from you. And so, God, thank you for your God-breathed word, and we receive it now in Jesus' name. Amen. And everyone said, Amen. So this morning, what I'm going to talk about, I'm going to talk about is Romans chapter 6, obviously, but really the, the, the point is how, how are you transformed and how do you actually like sin less? Like you have this life and you're thinking through the life and you do the same old things. You know what I'm talking about? You just do the same old things you've been doing. You get tired of doing the same old things. And how do you get past your past? How do you get past like your your present struggles, that you, you have your struggles with sin. And so, uh, and then what is the relationship of grace to sin? Like, how does that all work? They're, they're asking that question 2,000 years ago. We're asking that question today. So that's what we're going to do. And I've got three points for you, three points, how you're transformed, how you sin less. So if you're new, and you're new to church, and somebody bought, brought you, and uh, you're a guest here, and you're thinking, like I've never like even done like what they're doing this morning. So this is this is what's in it for you. If you were to become a Christ follower, this is what your life would look like. You're going to see the dynamic then of, of how people struggle with sin and the advantages that would be if you became a Christ follower. So Romans chapter 6 beginning in verse 1 says this. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? And so what he's doing here is he's saying, like, what shall we say then? We'll say then to what? We'll say then to the, like, the last five chapters that he's been talking about here. And so uh, he's saying that, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Like an eternal spring break 
throw in a little Mardi Gras, you know what I'm talking about. So, so is that how we're to live? Because, hey, there's, there's God's grace there. And so knowing that whatever we do, people are thinking, hey, like whatever I do, it's going to be forgiven by God, right? I mean, God's a forgiving God, and God's going to fix it, right? And God's a God that he's going to take care of it. So since God is all that and more, why don't I just go on and live however I want to live and do whatever I want to do here? No matter what the tab I rack up, God's grace is greater than the tab, right? That's what you say. So, uh, so the people are kind of wrestling through that, like some people even wrestle through that today. So what do I say to that? Do I get to sin all that I want to sin because I'm saved by grace? I'm not saved by works. There's nothing that I can do here. And so, hey, and if God has got like this bottomless bucket of endless, limitless grace, why don't we just do whatever we want to do and live however we want to live here? So Paul is saying that, look, yeah, there is grace, Romans 5.21, where sin abounded. Some say, yeah, that, that's me, like abounding in sin, but I'm not going to raise my hand. Say, I really sin a lot. It says, where sin abounded, their grace, in one translation, is in superabundance and even more on top of that. And so where sin abounds, other translations read, grace does much more abound. In other words, no matter what you sin, no matter how big you blow it, no matter how much you felt like you were an idiot, God's grace is even greater than that. It's awesome. It's awesome. And so, uh, so when we do sin, then do we just like say a prayer and go to heaven? Is that like... Is that the, the Christian life then? So and I, in this truth, we have the ability, don't, don't, don't you agree with this? We have the ability as humans to like justify just about anything we want to do. Come on, is this true? That's true. It's true. I do it all the time. Like I'll think, you know what? I got I to gotta watch my carbs. I got to watch my carbs. And so I'll go in and get a couple little, maybe look and see what, what my wife bought, you know, and okay, oh, there's Trader Joe's. So I'll grab some, maybe some cookies or something. I'll think, I'm only going to do two. Oh, yeah, I'm going to watch my carbs, you know. And then I go back and say, well, you know, another two won't hurt me. And so I'll, I'll and I justify, you know. See, you don't do this, huh? You, you've never done this? Yeah, you do it too. Then you grab another couple, you know. And they're like, okay, I'm done with that. And then like a minute later, I grab, and I have like six instead of two. But I did it in increments of two so I don't feel guilty. Come on, you know what I'm talking about? You don't feel guilty because you just did two, 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 and then you... So we can justify our behavior, yeah. So Romans 6 deals with justifying our sin and, and watch, and empowering us to come out of it. Empowering us to come out of it. And so shall we go on living, he's saying this, in the same relationship to sin that we had before. That's what he's saying. Shall we continue in a state of sin as we have been sinning in the past? In other words, then he says, but grace is greater Grace will outpace the sin bigger than the sin. But some people are thinking like, well, hey, if I sin, then God's got to generate more grace, and then, and then it gets more glory and all that. And so it's just really twisted thinking. And so, but he's saying this, is, shall we continue in habitual, intentional, ongoing, willing sin? That's the question that he's asking there. And so... Uh, so you know that you're made right with God by grace. It's his unmerited favor. Uh, and so, but the question that he anticipates here is that people are going to make a play on that. So what he's doing here is he's beginning to respond here because he knows people say, well, there's unlimited grace. I'll do, do whatever I want. So when the Bible talks about shall we continue in sin, what is it talking about actually? 
It's actually an original word, the original language, which means it speaks of a word picture of living in a house. Anybody live in a house? Live in apartments? All of us live in homes, and we get that. So it's saying to continue there, in other words, to a place that you dwell, a place that you do life, a place that you exist. And so he's saying, like, look, in the space of sin where you exist, where you dwell, where you live in that space, and you know that space, you're very familiar with that space like you are familiar with your house, shall we continue to live in that space? That's what he's saying there. And so again, Romans uh, 5.20, there is superabundant grace. And so the big point, though, is this. The big point is this. Is that God's grace is not a green light to sin. God's grace is not a green light to sin. And so if you have a relationship with Jesus... He's perfectly capable of helping you minimize your lifestyle of sin. We're going to unpack that here this morning. So Christianity is about a relationship with Jesus Christ who comes to dwell within you and to change you from the inside out. So what we're going to talk about now, the remainder of our time, is three realities. Three realities that will help you to sin less. Three realities that are transformative for your life. So now he answers the question, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And he answered in verse 2, and he says this, no way, Jose. By no means, how can we who died to sin still live any longer in it? That's an emphatic, in the original language, an emphatic, no, 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 like never, 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 it can't happen no way, absolutely impossible, no possible. So, some of you didn't know I was a Greek scholar, did you there? So, there are several reasons why uh, he, uh, he says that we should not continue in this life of sin. The first one is this, is that in Christ you get a new start. You get a new start. 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone's in Christ, they're what? They're a new creature, the old things pass away, behold, all things become new. And so, first point he's making here is Jesus releases you from your old life to a new life. So you don't have to sin. It's an inside work of the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ transforming you. So, what he's saying is this. It's impossible to have died to sin and then live in sin at the same time. We're going to unpack that some more. So if you're a Christ follower, what he's saying is you simply cannot remain in the same space, that house of sin that you've been living in. He says, we have died to sin. See, there it is. We've died to sin. So sin does not have to have the same, I think of it this way, the same stranglehold upon your life. It's not like you're not going to stumble in sin, but it's the stranglehold power that can have on us. So you cannot continue literally to sin at the same degree and the same level as you've sinned before. So when you come into a relationship with God, it is through Christ, it is absolutely transformative. And so verse 3 says this. Now Paul says, let me show you what it means to have died to sin. That's what he's going to say. Let me show you. And here's going to show you. Do you not know? Well, the implication is, yeah, a whole lot of people don't know. That's why they're still sinning. So he says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? It says, do you not know? If you see sin as okay, and if you're a Christ follower, and you don't have any problem with that, 
Friends, there's a lot you don't know. We're going to talk about that this morning. So that is often the problem. See, theology is really important. That's just like for nerds and Bible scholars. No, it's actually, it's actually important to your life. In James chapter 1, when he's talking about uh, dealing with uh, temptations, he says, knowing this. Not how you feel, but knowing this. The trials of your faith work patience. So you need to know what God's Word says here. So it says if you're struggling with some sin, the issue may be that what you don't know. Knowing this, that ultimately you're baptized into death. Now this is a dry chapter. This is not a wet chapter. This is not talking about baptism like we think about baptism, though it is symbolic of what happens here. But there are many people who think that in their sophistication and all, uh, think that their sins are okay. Well, there's a whole lot that they don't know because this is telling us that Jesus died for your sin, that it can be put to death. And so here's what you need to know. Here's what you need to know. We are baptized into Christ's death if you're a Christ follower. So think of it this way. There's things right now in this life you don't know. There's things that you need to know that are vital for you to know that would change your direction and change your life if you knew them, but you don't know. It's true. So imagine that you could have a a seat in heaven and you could be looking at life through eternity and be looking back at your life right now. And if, uh, if you were in heaven right now looking back and you could actually advise yourself on earth, what would you say to yourself? Could it be that you would tell tell yourself something that is current and critical to your life? What would you say? Do you think that you would maybe give some direction? You would give some insight, maybe some correction to your life right now? That's that's the idea, the spirit of what you say in this. You may may hear yourself say, hey, Rod, like, that's really important, and your life needs to be about that. But, Rod, listen, listen. That dead-end thing you're chasing down there, forget it. Like, let that go. Or maybe when you're in dating world, that dead-end relationship that you're after, let go of that thing. And you could speak into your own life there. And so stop chasing her. Stop stop chasing him. You know, stop chasing the emptiness scene. And you would be able to speak like that. Well, there's all these things you don't know. So that's the idea, is when you don't know about, about sin here and that it's been put to death. So he's saying, look, here's how it works out. Jesus has baptized you into his death. That means this. Baptism, baptismo, to immerse then, means that Jesus' sacrifice applies to you personally. It means that his death applies to you personally. It's not just words on the script here uh, of Scripture. No, this applies to you personally, words that could change your life. So the moment, here's how it works, friends, the moment that you become a Christ follower, that moment, supernaturally, miraculously, by work of the Holy Spirit, you do this very thing that you're baptized into Jesus' death. When you receive his son here, you're immersed into a personal relationship with Jesus where the reality is, we're going to talk about this in the next couple verses, you are in union then with Christ. So a lot of people, I think, in in the church is what happens is this is that we'll go to church and it kind of just becomes cultural and you go to church on monday and live like hell on no you go to church on sunday <laughs> and live like hell on monday all right that was funny i don't care what you think and so 
Uh, but the reality is this, is that people just, they, uh, that, that actually flows out of Texas. That, no one would say that about us in California, right? We would never do that. We would never do that. But anyway, so, but the reality is that people, they need to like really uh, step into an intentional way to really follow Christ, as he's, he's designed to do. And that's what Romans 6 is doing here. So it's a chapter about sin. And friends, who's going to tell you the truth about sin besides God who created you, right? Who, who, where in culture are they going to talk about sin? So you should be happy that you're here. I can tell you're happy that you're here. <laughs> and so here's the idea, that you have a relationship with the living God. And that relationship with the living God then changes you. And so there's things in your past which you would not want to be a part of because you have a new relationship to the old. You know what I'm talking about? You have a new relationship. Now you're in Christ. You have a union with him. Changes your relationship to the past there. And so the best illustration I can think of, and maybe it's kind of lame, but I'm going to give it anyways. And so the idea is that, say, like with a butterfly, the butterfly once was a caterpillar, slimy, grimy, crawling on the ground there, earthbound and all, and now gloriously it metamorphosizes into this glorious butterfly flapping its wings so gloriously. And it would never think about going back to grime world and slime world and be, it would, it's unthinkable. And that's what he's thinking about. I say, look, now you're in union with Christ. You've died to that old slimy caterpillar life. Why would you go back to that life is what he's saying. You've been resurrected to newness of life. So um, that was a good illustration, actually, now that I think about it. Verse 4, so we are buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Friends, here's the end game. This is what we're after, that you would walk in a newness of life because Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. The good news is our relationship with him that changes all things for all time, for all people, forever because of the resurrection and its implications in your life. Friends, every day should be Easter, not just celebrate once a year. But Jesus is alive right now. He's alive right now, and you can have a relationship with him, a life-giving, uh, strengthening, empowering, uh, transformative relationship is available to you even as I speak here. And so the Holy Spirit does an inside job where he transforms you. He changes your desires. He, uh, uh, he changes the, the, the impact of sin and its bondage, its control, its dominion over your life here. And it says, watch, that we might walk, walk in newness of life. Now, walk, that's relationship language, right? You like to, you like to go on walks? Anybody like to go on walks? I love to go on walks with my wife. We'll go down to Orange County, have dinner down there. I got my favorite spots, you know, it's just awesome. But we'll go, you know, maybe do a little shopping, she likes to shop more than me. I can say that since she's not here. And don't say that I said that. <laughs> so, but she, she, you know, so we'll go through the mall there and hold hands and chat it up. And I just love to hang out with my wife. It's a relationship. We're friends. It's a relationship. Walking. So it says that we should walk in newness of life. So the Christian life is a walk with Jesus. It's a walk with Jesus. So it's a relationship with Jesus where you're connected to him. So point number two is this, how you sin less, how your life becomes transformed. The more you walk with Jesus, the more you walk away from sin. That, that makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, just think about it. It's just practical. The more you walk with Jesus, the more you're going to walk 
away from sin. This makes sense. You're drawing nearer to him, so the less that you sin. So you'll walk in newness of life. So when you say yes to walking with him, it begins to impact you at the very core of your being, who you are. And so you're not the person that you used to be. So it changes you. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Changes your direction. Changes your heart. Ezekiel said that it'll take out from within you, take out your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. A heart that is soft towards God. A heart that is, is responsive to God. And so that's what happens. You become a new person. You have new power. The same power that raised Christ from the dead, the Bible says, dwells in you. And so you're able to do this. So, so you, you have a new life here. You have a new life in Christ. And you begin to walk in newness of life. So I was thinking, like, how, how should I illustrate this? And then I thought, well, you could just tell your story. Why don't you do that? Just tell your story. So I'm going to tell my story of how, I've, how I was impacted to walk in newness of life. So here's my story in a nutshell of how I was raised to life in Christ. Well, I didn't grow up in church. Like a lot of you, you grew up in church. I didn't grow up in church. I never went to church. Like not one time with my family in my entire life have I been to church with my family. Not one time. Not once. My parents are dead, so I, that was never going to happen. So, but anyway, but never went to church. So I didn't know anything about church. It's totally foreign to me. I don't know anything about God. I couldn't figure out why people go to church. I asked my dad, Dad, why do people go to church? Like, what's the point? Well, Rod, they need a crutch. Okay, I guess they need a crutch. And so that's what, that's what I grew up with. They need a crutch. And so, but Jesus wasn't real to me. Jesus was like, I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know what the Trinity was. I was at zero point. Absolute zero point spiritually. I was alive unto God as a refrigerator, okay? There was nothing there, like nothing there. And so, uh, so what happened then is that uh, I met somebody, uh, cute girl, Debbie Danielson, go to church. I'm all about church because she's all about church. And so then I hear the gospel. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is true. Like the guy up there, he's telling the truth, and, and I need this, and I need God. So I received Christ, and everything changed. Everything changed. And so my desire changed. I'm 17 years old. Now I'm sensing God working in my heart. And I would lay on my bed at night, and I'd open the Bible, and, I, and I, it was just within a short amount of time, I thought, I can, like, I can hear God, like, God, that's for me. Like, no church background, but I'm hearing God speaking to me. And it's just it's so utterly transformative here. And now uh, it's transforming my goals and my, my aspirations. And I grew up in Palos Verdes, rolling hills. My girlfriend, Debbie Daniels, in her house today, at least, be at least 10 million today. I'm over there every day. I'm living... I'm trafficking in that world there. I'm from the hood in Covina with all the rich kids. I never thought I was a rich kid, even though I lived up there. But I'm with all the rich kids on the hill. And so I'm getting absorbed in that lifestyle. I'm getting absorbed. You know, two of my friends had brand new Porsche Carreras, Rolls Royce. I mean, just everything you can imagine. And I'm from the hood seeing all of that. And so uh, uh, going on vacations with friends and just things I could never afford and never dreamed of as a kid. And uh, we had a we had a, just an average home for up there, which is be millions, but uh, an average home. But I start, started to get inside me. I started to think, I want to live here. And my goal became when I was 18, I'm going to be here in 10 years. I'm going to be living here. I'm going to get a nice car like my dad. Dad had every nice car you could think of. Ah, this, this is me. See, and then I met Christ and all of that began to change. It began to change where it lost its grip on me, where it became utterly unimportant to me. So uh, it transformed me. 
And, so, and I wanted to walk with God. I wanted a new, new life. Uh, shortly after I became a Christ follower, I felt like, you know, I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to do missions. I didn't even know what a, what a mission was. Never been on a mission. And I told my friend Ray Branker, I said, hey, Ray, I think I'm going to be a missionary in Africa. Right? I, I didn't know the first thing about missions. I didn't even be a missionary in Africa. It was good for you, Rod, because I'm sure not going to be a missionary in Africa. So, but, and then I became a missionary in Africa. And I've been about 10 times to, to Africa. And so, but all that to say is that my goals began to change, my heart began to change, relationships began to change. Girls I would date before, I think, what was I thinking? You know, not going to date them anymore. And so the grip of sin began to lose its power. God began to work in my life. And so this is the way it works, friend, is that he works in your life such that you walk in newness of life. Anybody want that? Yeah? And so the emptiness scene, yeah. I was caught up in the emptiness scene like everybody else. But the emptiness scene began to lose its allure, began to lose its attractiveness to me, and I, I wanted to live for God. And so and that, that feeling, that buzz, friends, that has never gone away since I was 17, uh, has never, it's never gone away. It's just as real now as it was then. And so there's nothing like following Christ. Anyway, we're raised to life in Christ. Verse 5 says this, and I never regretted following Christ. Verse 5 says this, For now if we've been united with him... In a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. In other words, in other words, when you become a Christ follower, you are united, you are fused, you are connected intimately with Christ, and that changes everything. Because God then joins himself to you. So watch, friends. How can you keep sinning at the same level when you're united with Christ. You can't. It begins to undermine your sin trajectory there. So union with Christ means that it's going to impact your sin record there and your sinning going forward. So you're united with Christ who died for your sin. So we become one with Christ, and therefore when we're one with him, that changes our relationship to sin. Jesus changes then our nature. Watch this. He changes our nature, does an inside job by the Holy Spirit there, and then that changes your behavior. The Bible says this. David said he writes his laws upon the fleshly tablets of our hearts. So he could say, I delight to do your will, O God, because you're writing your will on my heart. And so, um, so think of it this way. Think of it this way, how it changes your relationship with sin. Imagine you were uh, uh, in the royal aristocrats and you were heir apparent to the throne. You're heir apparent to the throne. You're going to be the next king, the next queen of Great Britain. And so, and there you are as a kid and you're doing stuff that kids do and you're stealing Snickers from the local liquor store. Come on, somebody. Did anybody steal candy as a kid? Beginning with the speaker. Okay, so... So there you are, you're stealing candy, and then, and then you get confronted about that. And someone looks at you and say, says, you know, one day, one day, you're going to be the king or the queen of England. So it's probably good that you're not stealing Snickers from your subjects. Probably would be a good idea. So here's the point. Now that you're part of the royal British aristocrat, you're going to be the next king or queen of England, it changes the way you do life. 
Okay? Changes how you, knowing where you're going changes your relationship to your life. So uh, Galatians puts it this way. I've been crucified with Christ. Not literally, of course. But it's no longer I that live. The old man, the old self has been crucified. But Christ lives in me. That is the new nature. The resurrected nature we're talking about. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who died for me and who loves me. So there it is, kind of a, a pithy summation there, that Jesus died to set us free. Number three point here, how you can sin less and your life be transformed is this. The Spirit of God changes your desire for sin. He changes your desire for sin. Not only changes your relationship with Him, not only changes your nature, your desire for sin changes. Friends, this is the secret of the Christian life, really. The great secrets of the Christian life. That God changes your desires there and helps you to walk in newness of life. It's all God. It's 100% Jesus. It is Jesus plus nothing at all. And so the Christian life is not what you have to do. It's not that somebody's putting a gun to your head. It's what you get to do because you want to do it. So you sin less because you want to sin less because of your union with the resurrected Christ. And so and thank God, he says here, then that it impacts you in such a way that you will no longer be enslaved to sin. See, the Bible says there's pleasure in sin for a season. Otherwise, it wouldn't be so attractive, right? Is sin attractive? Yeah, it's attractive. That's why people do it. Okay, but it says there's pleasure in it for a season, but the end thereof is death. The end thereof, you know, you're barfing over the toilet or whatever. It's, it's just not good. You know what I'm saying? It's not good. The end is not good. But no one in culture talks about the end. Right? They never, do they ever talk about the end? You know, they, what, what do they say? Be, respons- be a responsible drink, but be responsible. And I've always wondered, like, how do you know, like, when you're drinking, when you're, you're not responsible? You know what I'm saying? How, how do people know? How do, they, how do they know when they're not responsible anymore? You know, you know what I'm talking about? But be responsible. It sounds so good. Be responsible. Like, drink all you want. Okay? But who tells you that the end thereof, sometimes when you drink, too much, the end thereof is it, you become an alcoholic. Like my grandmother, and like my mother, and like my sister, and like my nephew. Four generations of alcoholism. Okay, who, who, but who tells them that? Just drink responsible. And so, see here, this is what it's saying here, that you get enslaved to sin. But nobody will tell you that. Culture will never tell you that, friends. But God who loves you will tell you You don't want to be enslaved. You want to be a slave to Jesus Christ. We talked about that earlier. Paul, a doulos, a bond slave of Jesus Christ. That's what you want to be. Because in there, when you become a slave, you become free. That's good. And even if you don't get it, it's good. Okay? It's good. (laughs) So uh, this is how I want to close. I I was going to, I started off, I was going to go all the way to verse 14. I would have had you out of here no later than 1 o'clock. Okay? (laughs) But I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. So I'm going to have you stand. I'm just going to read the rest of the verses, okay? As the worship team comes up. They're so good here, though. We're going to read them. It says this. The one who has died has been set free from sin. Maybe just put yourself in a position to hear the Scripture read over you. You can open your eyes or close your eyes, but just hear God's Word. 
So now if we've died with Christ, we believe that we'll also live with him. And we know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion, control over him. And the death he died, he died to sin once for all. That's all of us here this morning, all of us watching online. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must also consider yourselves, that means reckon yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to obey its passions. And then no longer do we need to let sin reign, but go in a different direction, and here's the different direction. To present yourself to God. Present yourself, don't present yourself uh, to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been bought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of righteousness. For sin will no longer have dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. And then the end of the chapter, it summed up kind of this pithy statement. For the wages of sin is death. The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your word. What a light. What a light unto our feet. What a lamp unto our path. What a direction to go to know in the, the remainder of our time on planet earth, the remainder of our days, to know how to be transformed, to know how to sin less. Father, I pray your word would not return void, but accomplish the purpose whereunto it was sent this morning in the tent. And so, Father, thank you for what you can only do. And if you're here this morning and you say, you know, I, hearing all this talk about sin, like, I like to be right with God. I like to know how to be forgiven. I like to receive forgiveness, and I'm feeling ready. I'm feeling ready. Well, it's been said that there's a thousand steps between you and God, and Jesus has taken 999, and there's one that remains to be taken. And that's for you to say yes to God, yes to forgiveness, yes to eternal life, yes to being walking a, a way that is less sinful, less devastating to your life, and being right with God. So if you're here and you want to reach out to Him, you want to say yes to Him, yes to forgiveness. Religion is spelled D-O, do this, do that, do all this stuff. But Christianity is spelled done. It's been done for you, friend, done at the cross. So if you want to say yes to Him, I want to lead you in prayer. So there's only one, if there's only one person, I'll just be so honored to pray with you. So I'm going to ask you if that's you with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. I want to say yes to God. I want to say yes to Jesus. I want to be His follower. I was brought here today. And, uh, and I want to do that. So that's you. Just raise your hand. Very simple in the back. Amen. Are there others? Right on. Yep, young lady, right on. In the front, right on. The cap, right on. Who else? Who else? We're not going to embarrass you. This is the greatest thing you could ever do. Right on. On the side, right on. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, who else? Come on. You want to be right with God, friends. Listen, today's the day. The Bible says today's the day. Like not tomorrow. Today's the day. I told that to a friend once, Tom Wolf, my roommate. I said, Tom, today's the day. He didn't take up the day, and he died that night. My roommate died that. Today is the day of salvation. Are there others? So those of you that raised your hand, just pray a simple prayer with me of receiving Christ. Repeat this in your heart. Dear God, I thank Jesus for going to the cross and paying for my sin. I ask you to forgive me, to save me. I need you. Thank you for the blood upon the cross shed for my sin. Make me right with you.
I surrender my life to you, taking you as my Savior. In Jesus' name I pray, amen and amen. God bless you and God bless you, all those of you that raised your hands. It's awesome.